Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 23. One of my favorite movies of all times when I was a child was The Wizard of Oz. Now, they used to play this movie once a year, you know, on TV, and and so we didn't have on-demand, and I'm kind of dating myself here, but we would gather together as a family to watch this movie once a year. It was, it was a great, joyful time of being together. What was the plot of this movie? Well, Dorothy was trying to find her way back home, trying to find her way back to Kansas. And she couldn't get there on her own. She had to put her entire trust, her entire dependence upon somebody outside of herself who claimed to be an all-powerful Wizard of Oz. And how was she to find this wizard? Well, you all know what, what she was told. She was told to follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road, right? It makes me want to start singing, but I won't, I won't do that to you guys. <laughs> I won't put you through that. But she followed the yellow brick road with her new friends and her dog, Toto, who names their dog Toto? I don't understand that one. But she followed the yellow brick road with her friends, and she finally stood shaking in her boots before the Wizard of Oz. They were shaking in their boots because this wizard was a giant, and he was shouting out commands, and, and smoke and fire were coming forth from him. But to their surprise, they found out that this giant was not a real person at all, but a machine run by a little gray-haired man in a booth. This gray-haired man was a not, not an all-powerful, independent being um, who could help Dorothy. No, he was a fake and a fraud and leaving Dorothy with the impossible task of finding her way back home. Many today are following shepherds down the yellow brick road. They promise happiness. They promise contentment. They promise fulfillment. But after following them down this path, all you find is discontentment and disillusionment. Today we're going to look at this wonderful psalm. You know, it's the, probably the most well-known psalm of all, Psalm 23. And, and I've heard it called a calm psalm for scared sheep. Because, you know, we're, we're going to look at this psalm and see how it applies to the crisis that we face today. You know, the pandemic that we are in. Now, this psalm, as you all know, was written by King David, and it was written to build our trust in God, to remind us of who He is and who we are. It was written by David, and it devotes 115 words to explain the first two words, the Lord. And he does this so that we will put our whole trust in the Lord and not in other shepherds who could lead us down the yellow brick road. 
This psalm is a glorious picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being the great shepherd of our souls. In it, David reveals God's loving care for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. So let's look at this psalm. I'm reading from God's Word, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now go back and look at the first phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, what's amazing with this first phrase is it's only made up by two Hebrew words. The first is roi, which is translated my shepherd. The other Hebrew word is Yahweh, which is translated the Lord. The verb is is implied by the context. So, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, as you think about this phrase, you can choose to put the emphasis on different parts. You you know, you could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Or you could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Or you could say, and this is what we'll look at first, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, notice that the word Lord, the name Lord, is in capital letters. This is the English translation for the name of God, which literally means I am that I am. You remember that God told Moses this name in Exodus 3. You remember Moses said, um, you know, God was sending Moses to the people of, in Egypt, right? To the Jewish people in Egypt. And he was saying that I'm going to send you to free the people, Right? And, and Moses asked, well, who should I tell the people is sending me? And God said, I am. You know, I am is sending you. You know, the, uh, the amazing thing is Jesus also uses the same name in John 8, 58, when he calls himself, I am, thus making him equal to the Father. This name for God refers to God's aseity. It's like your $20 theological word of the day, aseity. Aseity is a word that describes God's self-existence. He is the only independent being in the universe because he's God, of course. We are all, the whole universe, including us, are dependent beings. 
We are dependent upon God for our existence. We are, in fact, dependent upon God for every breath that we take, every beat of the heart. We are dependent upon our Creator. Well, God could also rightly say about Himself that I am the only one. One writer says this about God's aseity. Now, listen closely because this this is a rather long quote, but it is a wonderful quote. Listen to this. Think about the title, I am. Do you know anyone who goes around saying, I am? Neither do I. When we say, I am, we always add another word. We say, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm strong. God, however, starkly states, I am, and adds nothing. You are what, we may ask. I am, he replies. God needs no descriptive words because he never changes. God is what he is. He is what he always has been. Yahweh is an unchanging God. He is an uncaused God. Though he creates, God was never created. Though he makes, he was never made. Though he causes, he was never caused. God is Yahweh, an unchanging God, an uncaused God, an ungoverned God. You and I are governed. The weather determines what we wear. The the terrain tells us how to travel. Gravity dictates our speed, and health determines our strength. We may challenge these forces. We may alter them slightly, but we never remove them. God, our shepherd, doesn't check the weather. He makes it. He doesn't defy gravity. He created it. He isn't affected by health. He has no body. Jesus said, God is spirit. Since he has no body, he has no limitations. Unchanging, uncaused, ungoverned. These are a fraction of God's qualities. But aren't they enough to give you a glimpse of your heavenly Father? Aren't they enough for our shepherd? Don't we need a shepherd like that? And don't we need a shepherd like that during this time? During this time of crisis. And you know, when you think of God being the great I am, when you think of him being the great I am, you think of him being our shepherd, you you ask, well, what is the job of a shepherd? And now we put the emphasis on my shepherd, right? We look as my shepherd. And, And the first thing that I think about when I think about a shepherd is, A shepherd loves his sheep. That's like foundational. If a shepherd doesn't love his sheep, he might as well find another occupation, right? Um, So a shepherd loves his sheep. And he is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. That's what David was willing to do for his flock when he killed the bear and the lion, it says in the Old Testament. Uh, Can you think of... Can you imagine standing in between a flock, your flock, and a bear that's charging and standing there with a slingshot? David was willing 
to risk his life out of love for his sheep. Well, a great shepherd is always also looking for pasture land for his flock to feed upon and still waters for them to quench their thirst. And if one in the flock, if one in the flock wanders off and gets lost, what does a good shepherd do? You know, he leaves the 99. He leaves the 99 and he goes in search and he searches day and night until he can find that lost loved one. And you know, when you think of this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, what that implies is that God thinks of us like sheep. He thinks we're like sheep, okay? And, and that should be kind of humbling, shouldn't it? I mean, sheep are not the brightest animals on the planet, are they? And, and they also are defenseless. Um, they have stubby little legs. They're not that fast. Um, they don't have fangs. Have you ever heard of a ferocious sheep or getting, somebody getting attacked by a sheep? In fact, when you think of a sheep or you think of a lamb, you think of a, a stuffed little animal, you know, in a baby's arms with a baby sleeping by a, a little lamb, right? Think of a sheep when a person's trying to get to sleep and, and they're sitting there counting sheep, jumping a fence, which I don't get because I've never counted sheep. Is it, has anybody out there, if you, if you have, tell me because I've never heard of anybody counting sheep. But anyways, sheep are pretty wimpy. They run at the first sign of danger. They're timid creatures. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we have nothing to brag about when God calls us sheep. We should, in fact, be pretty humbled. Um, and we, we should, it should uh, push us or... Um, encourage us to say we definitely need the Lord as our shepherd. But when the great I am, when the Lord calls us his sheep, and when he calls himself our shepherd, we better sit up and take notice. We better listen. Because think about it. The creator of the universe, the one who is an independent being, the one who is all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, and loves us with an everlasting love, wants to take care of us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. You know, that should make us rejoice. It, it should give us great joy. And it should also give us great peace. But you know what? What we do with that is many times we let all of those facts remain up here instead of getting down here, right? We do. We do. And many times we are tempted to follow false shepherds. 
We're tempted to listen to the voice of other shepherds who are calling us, who are calling out loud, saying, come over here. I can provide joy that your shepherd can't provide. That's the temptation. Uh, we are tempted by many different shepherds. Now, now I'm not going to you know, try to go through all of them today. I'm going to just face, uh, just talk about three, three shepherds. And the first one, the first one is us. You know, so many times we call the Lord our shepherd when he really is not. What do I mean by that? Well, anytime we go into sin, anytime we sin, we're leaving the Lord as our shepherd and we're becoming our own shepherd. We're running things in our own way. And a great example of that can be seen in Numbers 13. You, you all remember the story. The, the people of God are on the edge of the promised land. God is promising them that he will be with them. He will give them the victory. All they have to do is go into the land and take it. You know, fight for it. And God will give them the victory. So they say, okay. And what they do is they do some reconnaissance, right? They do what any army would do. They look at the land. And they send 12 spies into the land. And you all know the story. 12 spies go in. They look at the land. They say, it is wonderful. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's great. You know, it's a great land. But then 10 of the spies, <clears throat> they come back with a bad report. They, they tell the people that there are giants in the land the Nephilim, and they are huge. And when we look at them, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Um, and we are helpless before them. That's kind of what they're saying. And, and what they were doing is they were walking then by fear instead of faith. They were trusting themselves to be their own shepherd instead of the Lord being their shepherd. But Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, they came back with a good report. They said, we can take the land because God has promised and we believe him. What about you? What about you? Are you the shepherd of your soul today or is the Lord? How about uh, thinking in terms of this pandemic? Are you the shepherd of your soul during this pandemic, or is the Lord? Think about the, the protocols. You know, are you washing your hands a lot? Are you doing the social distancing, our new term, right? Are you staying at home a lot? Have you, have you given up shaking hands? You know, all of these practices are wise things to do. They're, they're adhering to uh, what the president has asked us to do. They're adhering to the doctors, the doctors under the president, what they're telling us to do. We are being responsible when we put these things into practice. It, it's like wearing seatbelts or locking your front door at night or brushing your teeth <laughs> or, or changing out worn-out tires on your car for new tires. You know, we don't run out on the golf course 
uh, carrying a two iron, waving it over our head during a lightning storm. That would be crazy. That would be tempting God. So who is your shepherd during this pandemic? If you are your shepherd, then you're going to be filled with fear and anxiety. You're going to be filled with worry. If you think that all the safety protocols are the things that are keeping you from sickness and death. But if the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd, you're going to trust in him. Now, that doesn't mean that, that when you're trusting in him that you throw all caution to the wind. Remember, uh, during this sermon, you're going to hear of man's responsibility. You're going to hear it often. Man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, and you're going to see how they go together. So it doesn't mean that you throw caution to the wind. You don't stop washing your hands. You don't start greeting people with handshakes or hugs. No, you continue with the safety protocols while trusting the outcome to God. You understand that He is in control, that our shepherd is the sovereign one, that sickness and death are in His hands. Listen to what Matthew 6.27 says, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. You see, if we are our own shepherd, then many times we're fearful because we believe that what we do keeps us from sickness and death. Now, what this verse is saying, Matthew 6, 27, is saying is God is in control. And he is in control of the very hour of our death. We, we can't extend it, and we can't shorten it. He's in control. We are not. We are not. It, it kind of reminds me of when I was a little kid. Um, I don't remember this because I was only a week old, but we were driving. My parents were driving from Connecticut to West Palm Beach where my dad was going to take his first job and his only job as an engineer at Pratt & Whitney, and we were headed um, to West Palm Beach, and we stopped at my grandmother's in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Well, that first week of my life when we were traveling, I got sick. I had pneumonia. I ended up in the hospital. Uh, I had four doctors working on me trying to keep me alive. You know, in 1958, being one week old was not a good time to have pneumonia. But you know what? Now that I look back on that, <laughs> you know, I can realize I had nothing to do with that. I wasn't in control. My shepherd was. My Lord was. And he's the one who saved my life, right? Yes, the doctors, he uses doctors, right? I'm not saying he doesn't. Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. But now that I look back on that as, as an older person, as somebody that's 61, you know, uh, you know, when I have an ache or pain that's unusual, I think, uh, is this normal or is this something else? Is this cancer? Or when I forget something, is this normal or is it something else? The temptation is there to try to take back control when I'm not in control. 
my shepherd is. And what brings us peace in all of this is when we trust our loving shepherd with the timing of the events of sickness and death, knowing that he is working all things together for good. It doesn't mean that you stop washing your hands during a pandemic. Uh, No, that would be foolish. And that would be tempting God. Let me, let's look at another passage on this. Uh, Matthew 4, 5 through 7, talks about the time that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. You remember that. And, and in Matthew 4, verses 5 through 7, it talks about the second temptation. When Satan quotes Psalm 91, <clears throat> and, and he tempts Jesus by saying, go to the pinnacle in Jerusalem, go to the pinnacle and throw yourself from it because Psalm 91 says that God will send angels to catch you. They'll take care of you. You know, you won't be harmed. So Satan misquotes, as he does a lot, he misquotes Psalm 91. And in fact, Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm. It even talks about uh, God promising Uh, protection of believers, even from a pandemic in verse 3. But what this psalm does not promise, and this is where Satan is misquoting, what it does not promise is when any believer or Jesus himself, it doesn't promise them protection when you deliberately put your life in harm's way. Jesus replies to Satan, By quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, he says, Do not tempt the Lord your God. When you put yourself intentionally in harm's way, you are tempting the Lord your God. And that's sin. It It would be like a Christian doctor, you know, saying, You know what? I'm going to go to the ER and work with COVID patients, and I'm going to do it without a mask or without gloves, because you know what? I'm a Christian. God will protect me. No, no. That's tempting God. That's tempting God. And that would be sin. Uh, David Rountree said this years ago. He probably doesn't remember it, but he said this in a sermon. Denise and I loved it. He said this, All you can do is all you can do, and that's enough. Did you hear that? All you can do Here's man's responsibility. All you can do is all you can do, and that's enough while you're trusting your loving shepherd who is working all things together for your good. And you know what? (laughs) When I think of God's goodness, I think of how good he is to us as Americans. Because we are so blessed to live in a land of freedom. We are the most freest country in all of history. And and the liberty that we have, you all would agree, is a gift from God. You know, God's sovereignty, but also man's responsibility, purchased with the blood of our forefathers, during the Revolutionary War, during World War I, during World War II, they purchased our freedom, our liberty. And we are indeed blessed 
to have the freedom of worship. You know, I, I think of, I'm in here in this room uh, preaching to a camera right now, and, and, but I don't have a fear that in that door over there, somebody's going to break down the door and come in and turn the camera off and drag me off to jail. Why? Because of the liberty we have as Americans. And we as Christians should be on the forefront of protecting those freedoms. We should protect those freedoms as responsible citizens. We shouldn't back off and say, no, I can't get involved. No, we need to protect those freedoms through voting and through being involved. Through being involved. But here's a balance. Many times, especially every four years during a presidential election, we are tempted. We are tempted to start trusting Uncle Sam to be our shepherd instead of the Lord. Now, now when you proclaim that the Lord is your shepherd, what you are proclaiming is that He is your primary need meter. You need no other. President Trump is not our shepherd. Neither is Governor McMaster's. During a town hall years ago, and I'm dating myself here again, President Clinton was asked a question by a man. He, he asked this, how are you going to take care of me? Now, can you believe a person would ask the President of the United States that question? He, he was he was seeing the role of the president as a father taking care of children. This is a, a pitiful way of looking at the government's role in our lives. What this man wanted was for the president to be his shepherd, for Uncle Sam to be his need meter. It, it's a sad thing that this man didn't understand that the Lord could be his shepherd. That the Lord could be his shepherd. You know, um, Denise was reading a book six months ago. It was a book, an autobiography written by Margaret Thatcher, talking about, you know, her, her life as a prime minister over Great Britain. And in that, she also talks about Winston Churchill during World War II being the prime minister of England. And Winston Churchill was a hero. He was a hero for Great Britain. He helped, you know, win World War II in his leadership. The same with Roosevelt, the same with all the Allied leaders, right? Um, but during World War II, the government had to take on many of the things, many of the needs of the people of England during that crisis. They had to handle some of the needs, just like our government's doing now during this crisis. And that, that's not wrong. Joseph did that in Genesis, you know, in Egypt. As a leader over Egypt, he, he took care of the people during a crisis, during a famine. But you know what happened to Winston Churchill right after 
World War II? Do you know what happened to this great uh, British hero? He was voted out. He was thrown out of office. Why? Because the people wanted more free stuff. They wanted the government to be their shepherd. Beware, sheep. We don't want Uncle Sam to be our shepherd. Ronald Reagan had uh, famous ten words. He said, beware. He said, when the government says, uh, when somebody says, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. <laughs> what they're doing is they're going to give you something, but then they're going to take your freedom. Beware, sheep. Be thankful that we can say, the Lord is my shepherd and not. Uncle Sam. Well, the third false shepherd of our souls can be other, other people, other people's opinions, other people's thoughts can control us. I remember that in high school and right after high school when I was in the Air Force, I was hearing the gospel for the first time and, and I was I was getting ready to come to Christ, and one of my thoughts was, one of my fears was that um, when I repent and I turn, that all my friends are going to think terrible thoughts about me. So I was worried about what others thought. Uh, later on, I didn't care. I just worried about what God thought. But as Christians, many times we do the same thing, don't we? We want to please others instead of pleasing our shepherd. And one great example of this, and I, I've told you this before, um, is in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, where Peter starts eating with the Gentiles, and he's eating, you know, Gentile food, and then the Judaizers come from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they stand aloof from them, and they eat Jewish food. And so what does Peter do? Peter's weakness was he had a weakness for wanting to please people. So instead of staying with the Gentiles, he goes over and starts eating with the Judaizers. And he starts eating Jewish food. And, and what he was telling them by his actions, what he was telling the Gentiles, and Paul confronts him on this, what he's telling them is that, that in order to be a Christian, you have to Believe in Jesus plus eat Jewish food. And that is a false gospel. You see, Peter did something out of fear of what people thought of him instead of what the shepherd thought of him. What about you? Is the Lord your shepherd? Or do you allow the opinions of others to direct your life? You know, do you fear what others say about you? Do you fear what they say about your marriage or your child rearing? You know, are you thinking more about what they think? Or are you doing it out of love for God? You know, are you, are you raising your children out of love for God? Or are you concerned about what other people think? Or are you concerned about your 
Christian performance or recreational activities, always worried and concerned about what people think. Well, this passage, this phrase is telling us that we should follow the lead of our shepherd and not what other shepherds think we should do. We should glory in what our shepherd thinks about us and not worry about what others think. And you know what? What does our shepherd think about us? What does he think? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us what he thinks. It says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you see what that's saying to us? it's saying this is what Jesus thinks about us all the time. It's the great exchange. It's justification. It's saying that God gave us Christ's righteousness and put it to our record. And Jesus took upon himself all of our sins, past, present, and future. And that's how God thinks of us all the time, that we are justified that we are the people of God, that we are saints, that we are already seated in heavenly places. So look at the last part of this verse, the emphasis now. The Lord is my shepherd. What a glorious, possessive, personal pronoun. I had to check that to make sure I got the, <laughs> the English right on that. It's been a long time. But possessive, personal pronoun, right? My shepherd. You know, when I think of my, the word my, I think of 20 years ago. Um, no, I don't think that far back. Well, I think of when my, when my girls were little. And I think of when I came home and they would tell Denise, my daddy's home, my daddy's home. You know, those are the greatest three words you could hear for a dad. My daddy's home. You know, it's wonderful. Can you imagine what God thinks when we say the Lord is my shepherd? How he loves to hear that? How, how it glorifies him? How it glorifies Christ? How it glorifies the gospel? And how he redeemed us? So that we're enabled to say that? Let me ask you this. Are you listening to this this morning, or whenever you're listening, and can you truly say, the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Because if you can't, I fear for you. I fear for you because the, the Bible also talks about uh, Satan being like a roaring lion seeking those that he can devour. You need the safety of being under the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? 
Are you weary of following false shepherds? Are you weary of trying to get to God by your own performance? He, he's yelling. He, he's calling you. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. What does he mean by rest? He means rest from all your self-righteous works. You're going to rest totally in him and his righteousness that he puts to your account. What, what, what he's asking you to do is come to him, to turn from your sin and follow him and believe the gospel. If you do, then he's coming after you like a lost sheep and he will pick you up. He will put you on his back and he will bring you back to the fold where you can rejoice. And you can rejoice with all of us in saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this glorious psalm, Psalm 23, which promises that you, as the great I am, want to care for us and love us like a shepherd loves his sheep. Lord, help us to Trust these things. Help these truths to sink deep into our heart so that we can walk by faith and not by fear, especially during these times like these. We praise you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.